0: and welcome to our new weekly podcast called Code Monkey Talks. Uh, this is actually a continuation of a, a video podcast series that um, Brian and I had done a few years ago. Um, I am your one of your co-hosts. I'm Brian Jackson. And, and, I, and I'm Brian Demers. <laughs> and uh, like I said, we've been in uh the industry for a couple years now uh this is going to be our first episode of a, an audio podcast that we wanted to start um we're refining the format over the next uh, few episodes so bear with us um but uh i think what we plan on doing today is to discuss some recent programming news and um uh the nice thing is that we're joined by a guest uh his, his name's chris Baglieri. welcome chris Hey, guys.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: And uh, we're going to talk together, and then uh, we're going to interview Chris a little bit, and then we're going to uh, leave you with something to do um but uh before we do that let's do uh little introductions uh like i was saying i'm brian uh, i've been uh programming uh in the industry for about 17 years now uh i've worked at a couple different companies espn apple i'm now at lucasfilm and um uh, i met brian uh, a couple years ago um
2: brian why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself Sure, so well, I'm also Brian. (laughs) Uh, I'm a developer evangelist. That's not gonna get confusing at all. No, not at all. Uh, So I'm a developer evangelist at a company called Stormpath. And I spent a lot of my time working on um, some open source source stuff, specifically Apache Shiro. And uh, uh, Brian and I uh, met a while back, as you mentioned, but we've spent a lot of time doing a lot of build engineering type of things. Uh, Apache Maven and uh, all that kind of ecosystem stuff. Um, and, uh, specifically Brian and I at ESPN, where we, where we work together, we did a lot of build automation, deployment, automation improvements. So that's, uh, that's my background.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I think that, uh, as we're trying to figure out what exactly this is going to be, it's definitely going to be, um, you know, a, a program for programmers, And um, uh, specifically, I think with our background, there's going to be a lot of talking about DevOps, build automation, um, you know, continuous integration, things like that. Um, But uh, I think we will... Uh, it's a very broad topic, so we're going to end up talking about a lot of different things. Um, We're going to break the show down into a couple different segments. Uh, We're going to start within the News, where we're going to discuss um, some recent uh, current events, and uh, then, uh, like I said, we're going to talk more with Chris uh, about what he's doing um, at his company, and then, uh, finally, we'll leave you with something to do uh, for the the week uh, until our next show. So, uh, with that, let's get into the first segment. Um, so, like I said, uh, it's called "In the News." Uh, we're going to do some current events, and uh, uh, this is where we'll pick uh, a news story, uh, something to do with programming or uh, around uh, this topic, and um, you know, we'll we'll discuss it. So, uh, Brian, why don't you go first? You had a really interesting um, uh, story that I I'd love to talk about.
2: All right, so so I picked this specifically so we could talk about it um, as, as, as a whole here, um, but it's a little tinfoil, tinfoil hat-y. So um, it's just the recent news about um, Amazon getting subpoenaed to get um, the Echo data yeah. from a murder Which, case. That happened a little while ago, but it's just now breaking out the news.
0: Yeah, and I, I have an Echo. I have an Echo and a Dot, so this is really like... Um, uh, very topical to me and my family so uh tell us a little bit about it because I, I actually uh I, you know I'd read the story but uh just in case our listeners haven't
2: sure so so I've read it a couple times uh you can't quote me on everything obviously but um so basically the there was a murder I guess last um November and there was a echo in in the room or in the house and the police want to capture any audio recordings that happened during the, um, murder timeframe. Um, and they sent a subpoena apparently to Amazon and Amazon said, no, um, they did give them access to some other bits of his account. Um, but there was no audio recordings or, or so they say. Um,
0: yeah. Now, so now did they, did they admit that they're actually always recording the the audio that's that's something that is like news to me. So no, no. Um, so I'm very so, interested in about this.
2: Yes. Yeah, so so basically, you know, they said what what we all have been told all along that um, all of these devices only uh, only send data into the cloud once you know the keyword um, is triggered, right? So Siri, is Siri, uh, Echo has uh, Alexa, and Google has whatever. Okay, Google. Um, so they all work in the same thing. This is kind of a confirmation of that, but. It's still kind of tinfoil hatty, you know. Like, what happens if there's a bug, or what happens if it gets hacked, or like, right? Or, or of the knowing? NSA,
0: right? They decide right. to hack into it and decide to turn it on at all times.
2: And don't get me wrong, I was uh, my nephew had one of these over the holidays, and I was playing with it. It's great. we were all, you know, asking Alexa to tell us dirty jokes, even the little five year olds mm. in the room. And yeah, it's just just like Siri, but you don't press a button, or it's you know, it's. Um, I really like it, but. At the same time, it's it's creepy. It's a little big brother.
0: <laughs> yeah, Chris. Chris, do you have an Echo or
1: uh, like Google Home? I, I don't. But you know, this it's funny. This just came up at work today, and I was unaware that it kept all that audio. So one of the guys I work with, he has his whole house is wired up with with echoes, and uh, he's got two kids, and, and they're sort of in his kids' room, and uh, you know, the, the kids have named them, so they'll be like, uh, you know, turn you know, whatever turn the lights off in Lego room or whatever they have their their rooms named. And I, he was playing back all the stuff of his kids talking to the device. And I was completely unaware that all of that was recorded for, for like just eternity. Uh, So it was just really interesting to me that that I didn't realize it was that just sort of persistent. I mean, I figured there'd there'd be some level of persistence, but uh, yeah, I just found that really fascinating.
2: Yeah. Yeah, uh, I, I, No, go, go ahead, ahead. Ryan. Go ahead. So I was going to say, apparently, you know, you can go in your account and, and delete all of the uh, the recordings. Um, obviously, again, they they only start recording once it's triggered, and then it's uploaded to the cloud. But those recordings stay there until someone goes and deletes them. Or I don't know if there's ever a you know purge period type of thing, but Amazon obviously has the space to carry carry whatever data they want, right?
0: Yeah, I feel silly. I, I had no idea that this was. Even something I knew that you could go back through the history and see what you have uh, asked uh, of Alexa, but I didn't realize the recordings are there.
1: I think that's the part that's weird. It's the recordings. Uh, It it was just a little, you know, it was just kind of funny. We were were cracking around like, oh, you know, what if your kids are asking like really personal, (laughs) private stuff or like making comments about about like you know, mom or dad? And he's like, well, you know, it's all on there. I can I could listen. And I'm like, "I, I I guess that's okay. It it definitely felt a little little bit invasive.
2: It it is. Yeah, Yeah, definitely. Especially when when you bring up that, like, it's other members of your family. um, You know, what's sort of the the boundaries there, right? For little kids, it's obviously fine. You know, we want to protect our kids. But, you know, what if he's 16, 18? You know, where where is that like?
1: like, It's like, you know, granting access to someone's, you know, search, searches effectively. So, it's like, you know, that's... it's a slippery slope. I, I don't know. I, I didn't realize that they, they kept all the recordings. That's the part that blew my mind. I mean, like you said, uh, Brian, I I, I, I assume they kept the actual questions in, like, you know, question form, but not the voices.
2: Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm sure, you know, they have access to this. Part of the reason is definitely they want to, you know, retrain their algorithms or whatnot over time. Um, and letting you have access to this data also means they can access it, right? Um but it is kind of weird
0: yeah it is weird um and and having uh, an echo and a dot in my house um uh it it would be unnerving uh except for the fact that i do know that it's at least it's at least when you say um you know uh, alexa and that keyword and uh, i bet she's about to talk to me cuz she thinks i'm hearing cuz she's in the room here um but uh yeah i you know i think that that's something that uh I would be unnerved about um, if uh, if I thought it was recording at all times. Um, so, uh, I have another story to talk about. Um, the one uh, is, this is, actually goes back a few weeks, uh, back to um, the uh, Amazon throws a big conference called AWS uh, uh, Invent, and uh, it is... Uh, something for uh, developers in AWS. And it, it's something that I'm always interested in because, uh, as both a user of AWS and then just, uh, um, I don't use all the services of AWS. But this in particular, this feature that they've uh, released, uh, I found really intriguing, which is having new Elastic GPU uh, instances. So um, they've had instances for, I want to say, a year or two now that. Um, You could spin up a a VM that had a GPU attached to it um, so that you could do either graphics processing or um, any kind of like uh, OpenCL type processing. So if you wanted to like fold proteins or, um, you know, do other things that needed a GPU, um, but on demand, you could turn to AWS to do it the new feature is being able to size the the gpu um you know it's basically like a one size fits all um up to this point um but now you can actually um request an instance and then uh as like the same way you can attach storage you can attach a gpu to it and a different size of a gpu um based on the the memory uh, size uh, i think it's it's from like Four gigabytes i want to say it's like one two and four gigabytes are the sizes um i don't have it in front of me um but uh, I, I think that's a really interesting model because of uh, kind of these uh, not just graphics um things that you might be doing but really uh, a lot of things can utilize a gpu today um uh, brian have, have you had a chance to uh take a look at this gpu stuff um you uh, know either I, the the existing stuff or the new stuff
2: i had only briefly um my my right, in remembering that it's only for Windows at first. Is That's that right. True?
0: Yeah, Windows yeah. and uh, and OpenGL only. Uh, they yeah. don't have DirectX
2: support yet. Yeah, so I'm sure um, you know Linux and whatnot will follow. And um, so this is related to a couple things. One, uh, I mean, I think Amazon's just gonna you know, run the market, the Bitcoin market. <laughs> yeah. But, but, but seriously though, I, I just saw um, one of the yearly announcements from, from Amazon and they mentioned the, um, the streaming desktop video. Um, so you can, uh, I, I don't remember when the original announcement came out, um, but it was desktop applications. You know, you could run them in the cloud and then stream them to the desktop, much like sort of, um, you know, mini clients, whatever back in the day. Uh so this, along with the GPU acceleration, seems like um, you know a play in that direction, right? Uh, as, as well as obviously like just the harnessing power of GPUs. Uh, so it's really it's yeah. really interesting.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I, Chris, that was yeah the, the Elastic GPU stuff is is that was one. out of, I mean, Invent was amazing this year. I, I was blown away by all, all the stuff that was announced. But the Elastic GPUs was definitely one of the things on the top of my list, just for my world in terms of where uh, I have uh, lots of hard computations to throw at data, uh, typically, you know, heavy on the the machine learning side. So to be able to... That dial that you talked about, being able to sort of, uh, based on the kind of computation I want to run, to, you know, scale that that GPU level up or down is is really... uh, That's very advantageous for me. uh, and, And it's extremely valuable. So it was definitely to me that was one of the biggest things that come out of invent. Uh, it's, it's going to be great.
0: Yeah. I think it's also just an interesting sign of how they're continuing to abstract away, like the pieces that are in a, um, you know, the, a traditional tower or a, a, a rack, um, you know, a, a U, um, because, uh, you know, we've, you know, you can, you've got the CPU, you've got the, the memory, you can add on storage and now you can add on GPU. Um, you know i think it's it's just interesting how they continue down that path of um being able to abstract the hardware away so that uh you know you don't have to go and run your own data center
2: yeah ab- absolutely um, i mean it's 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 wild right like i mean i i feel like the only people who need computers now are developers right <laughs> yeah. it's it's getting to that point i mean not quite but it's close
0: yeah yeah exactly um, okay. So that's it for in the news, uh, for, uh, this episode. Um, now I'd like to turn and to talk to Chris more. Um, you know, so Chris, uh, I would love for you to, um, tell us, uh, you know, your role, uh, at the company that you're at and, um, you know, tell us a little bit about what you're doing at Blackfin.
1: Sure. Uh, so I am the VP of engineering at, a small life sciences software startup called Blackfin. We're based out of Philly. Um, I guess probably the best way to describe uh, what we're building uh, we're fairly early stage at this point uh, um, in a lot of ways we're building I guess what you can almost consider like a bi tool for for scientific domains specifically we focus on uh, uh, neurology and neuroscience so uh, you know in, in the science world um, you know th- there's both the volume of the, the challenges of large volumes of data as well as the sort of complexities within those data sets. So it's really challenging for scientific teams and researchers who are uh, sort of versed in, uh, let's say, um, whether they're, uh, you know, let's say I'm like a cancer, you know, I'm, I'm a scientist focusing on cancer, or I'm a computational scientist doing statistics on certain data sets. It's hard for these groups to, one, collaborate and work together, and two, to kind of share their data and run computations on it. So Uh, Effectively, what we're building is a platform that allows teams to collaborate around data sets and do business intelligence kinds of things, but more rooted in uh, the scientific domain. So which is why things Ah. like Elastic GPUs are are very uh, intriguing, because it allows us to sort of tailor to those audiences very well.
0: Interesting. Um, And so, are uh, do you mind if I ask you a little bit about kind of the the infrastructure uh, that you're using? Are you on AWS? Yes. So we are. So
1: and actually, before I go there, um, it might make just to kind of talk a little bit about my background. So I am, uh, I am definitely uh, an engineer. I've been doing software engineer. You said 17 years. I think I have you beat by a few years, uh, 20 years. So uh, my background is definitely uh, engineering and and data science. But to do this kind of platform, uh, the team is very diverse. So we have. Uh, folks who are just back engineering. We have a lot of data science people. We have uh, people who are really focused on visualizations. And then we just have general, you know, really nerdy neuroscience people as well. So, you know, to do this kind of work, it's definitely, a, it's it's multidisciplinary to the core. Um, so our stack. So we are Amazon all the way through mm. um, for the most part. So there is some component of our our platform that is it's all hosted on amazon but we don't uh leverage as many of the services that we do elsewhere so um storage wise i'll kind of work bottom up uh yeah storage wise we we use a lot of s3 right so when uh, a customer sort of uploads their data set we're we're taking those raw assets and we're tossing them onto s3 and then we have a a custom uh, graph database that we've built over that um oh cool yeah, it's pretty neat. Uh,
0: we're, we're yeah, so you're to... you're not using anything like Neo4j. You've actually built something. Yeah, on so top we, of
1: we we kick the device. tires a little bit. Um, Neo4j is actually really interesting, but uh, it's we we actually hit some limits with it uh, to do the kind of queries you want to do and, and that kind of speed we want. So we actually have uh, you know a fairly it's it's not actually not that complex of a database, but it all lives inside of Redis. So we do use uh, Amazon's Elastic Cache. Um, but we have a, you know, sort of a, a custom graph database that lives inside of Redis and, uh, the Elastic cache service is great. Uh, so it handles all the sort of heavy lifting to, to handle with sharding and, and distributing that data and read and writing, et cetera.
0: Um, nice. Yeah, it, it's, it's pretty cool. And ha- um, have you, have you started like, um, uh, are you multi-region or are you just in one region? One region point?
1: right now. Um, but, uh, some of the engagements that we have going on right now, the multi-region piece is something we need to think about a little bit more. Um, The other thing, tricky thing in in the life sciences and and healthcare too, is that, uh, you know, we, we sort of, we're in like the HIPAA world. So security and keeping data locked and encrypted and all that sort of stuff is an additional challenge we have. So, you know, every time we have to sort of, open the, the, the door to like, oh, let's just do multi-region. It's not just sort of like click, a click, click and go. Do you have, there's all these other implications you got to think through with that. Um, yeah. We do have a couple other databases. So, uh, you know, we have this this graph store, which is great. It helps us describe the data we're, we're ingesting, but we also have a time series database. So we're using uh, something called Influx DB for that. Um, and that's really interesting. So we collect a lot of time series data uh, but not like metric data, from, which is probably the, the, the time series data that you guys are, are really familiar with. Uh, so not like ops and metrics data, where actually you have, like, you know those things where they put on your, on your head with all the little nodes and you see the squiggly lines that record your brain <laughs> yeah, activity? Right. Yeah. So that, that's like the time series data we get to play with, which is nuts. So, you know, we Got collect it. all that and uh, you know query it and, and allow you to interact with it. So we store all that uh, in influx DB.
0: Um, and that, that's, so, and you're like Apple Health Kit yeah, like yeah. on steroids.
1: Yeah, yeah, which is really like the, the stuff you could do with that data is insane. And it's when you crazy. hear what? when you talk to some of the neuroscientists on our team, it's just there isn't a day that goes by that I have to pause the conversations, I I have no idea what you guys are talking about. You need to <laughs> rewind and dumb this down a little bit for me so I can understand the
2: concepts. But it's really that's, fascinating. That, that's wild. So what's the resolution on 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 like brain brain waves, right? <laughs> It's crazy, but well, that, that's one of the challenges, uh,
1: you know, that we're trying to figure out right now. So, uh, to, you know, we're, we're we're early stage, so we have one or two customers who are actually streaming in EEG data, so like time series data from a from, a, you guys are gonna their jaws are gonna drop when they say this data, from a brain device implanted in a dog. Uh, so we have that data coming in real time into our platform over what over, web, <laughs> over websockets. So to store all that. Is, it's, it's okay when it's like one or two devices, but when you really start turning that dial up, it gets kind of nuts. So we're, yeah. we're working through how to scale that out. And it's, it's non-trivial engineering. Um, but that's incredible. The thing, it, it's really neat. But the, so this is the kind of stuff we want to do is as we're taking this data in real time, uh, we want to be able to, for example, so like obviously one of the big things in neuro, neurology is like seizures. Right. So it. It's, it's funny, like seizure detection algorithms are actually not hard to write, but to do them at scale is really difficult. So you can imagine there'll be a device in the dog's brain that's sending back, you know, EEG data, and in real time we want to <laughs> run that through a seizure detection algorithm. We could say, you know, a seizure happened there, and a seizure happened there, and a seizure happened there, and, and be able to do that in real time. So there's a lot of different challenges you have to do, and storing that time series data is is one of them. Uh,
0: Interesting. Yeah. And so, do you have it so that you have like a, like a like a cascading pipeline, like um, you know pipes and filters, where you know this data is coming in, and then yes. you're filtering it. And okay. Yeah. So, so, yeah. Th- so in terms uh, okay. of
1: handling that, this is where we start now, working up to AWS stack, right? So to get the data in yeah. real time, we use Kinesis, and that allows us to now we have like a pipe. So on the client side, they're just piping in this, this EEG data to Kinesis and we're pulling that off and storing it in our time series database. So, you know, at this level now, now we're starting to, to rely on Kinesis to pull that data in. And that's just sort of on the storage side. So the, the platform that we have, uh, most of our middleware is all Scala. Um, we have the, the, the pipeline, data pipeline now, piece of... Before you, you go any Scala? further,
0: <laughs> I have you Scala. Brian has used Scala. <laughs> Sorry, I don't. I, I don't want to speak for really? him, but I don't think either of no. us are fans of Scala. I would love to chuckle. Oh yeah, I would love. Okay, <laughs> this is gonna be fun. I would love to know. Yeah, well, and not not to grill you about no, the, no, the, the the why, yeah. but but why? Like, it, like, <laughs> yeah. be very interesting to know what um, you know, kind of what brought you to using Scala as your platform of choice.
1: Sure, sure. So, uh, I'll let me give you a minute sort of context to the point where we had to make this decision. So when I joined, I've been with platform for about six months. So the company's been around for a little bit over a year now. It was born in academia. Um, and, you know, it's origin. Say no more. Right. So in its origin story, it was basically <laughs> like Java and JVM. And, you know, it was kind of a rough code base. So, you know, when I joined, really it was like the inflection point of the company. Like, okay, we want to scale this out and grow the team, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, we were had to do some you know, which is normal on a startup. Like we had to rewrite and rebuild some of this infrastructure. So I had joined and, uh, my buddy from a couple of startups ago, he came over, uh, he is a, a big functional guy and he really like understands like real big hmm. data engineering and, and building these large analytical pipelines. That, that's his world. We both, you know, built products in that space, but, but my, you know, my, my buddy Jim, like this is, he lives, the breeze and eats this stuff. He loves it. So you know, when it came time to say, okay, you know, let's, let's rebuild some of the infrastructure, what tools do you want to use? I've only dabbled in Scala before Blackfin. So this was the first time where I was like, okay, Jim, if we're a data science company, the data science stack is Python and or Scala. And then, you know, the web, just mm. the web, we'll, we'll deal with that. So I was like, if we go Scala, he's like, I want to do Scala. I'm like, okay, if we go Scala, it's on your shoulders to... <laughs> To mm. to pull me along. So what I've learned is that, yeah, uh, it's not. It's like it, it's it's a it's a non-trivial language. It's very prickly. Like it, you, it's hard. Yeah. It's not. That,
0: uh, that's exactly where I think it fell down for me. And, and you know, I'm sounding very negative. I'm not. I'm not. No, not really negative on it. Language is but language. I've had. I've hit all the rough edges, and that's the yeah. things that like, Ab- concerned me.
2: It's tough. So it's not. You know, I, I think the biggest thing is it's not Java, right? I think a lot of people say, like, oh it's on the JVM. I know I can do a little groovy like Scala's going to be no easy. No, you know, no no problem. But uh it's not, right? It's so, different.
1: Yeah, it's very different. And I think the one it's really interesting. So if you read a lot of like the the Scala blog posts, it was like you could start off writing it Java-esque and then move to something that's more functional. Uh, I actually think that's a like, bad approach.
0: <laughs> yeah. It's because it's when like, you don't do that, that. Like, it's like it's like, you,
1: it's yeah, you like, just hit all these. It's like
0: saying you you you're coming from Pascal, like you should um, use, you know, create Pascal like Java. Um, and it's like, no, don't do that. That's the wrong way to be introduced to a language. And,
1: you know, if you're just going in there like, I want to learn Scala, that's a great way to learn it. But if you're like in the middle of like, I need to build a product, like you can't. You can't like afford yeah. that time. So really realistically, if I didn't have Jim on the team, I probably would have had something that was more of a JVM Python mix. But with Jim there, I was like, Okay, mm. I could jump in. And do this to Scala the idiomatic way. And like I've known Jim for a while, I don't have a problem feeling stupid in front of the Jim. Like a gym, I said, Jim, I write something like you need to sit down and explain this to me. So I, I've come to realize that if if you're going to make the jump to Scala, and it is a great language once you get over that initial hurdle, there's a lot of really impressive things you could do with it. Um, you need someone who like understands it and and, and is a good teacher. Uh, and then once you sort of get over that hurdle, and you know I, Brian, I remember a bunch of Maybe a year or two ago, you mentioned how it's it's a really powerful language when you want to start building DSLs.
0: So, uh, yes, that's what I was going to ask yeah. DSLs and how much rope to hang yourself with. Right. Those are the, so, those are the two things I've talked about.
1: <laughs> yeah, and it's like I get that now because you know when you're just slinging Scala around, it's like oh my god, it could get a little bit unwieldy. But when you start to sort of formal form, formalize the patterns of code that you're writing and you know how you handle errors and and options and conditional states in like your API, and then you start building this own little mini DSL and your own sort of, you know, middleware, it it becomes really, really powerful. And I will say this, the other shift that I had to make is, you know, when I was writing, when I write Java, Python, or Ruby, it's like I measure myself and, oh my God, I wrote a lot of code today. Uh, And I'm like, if I'm not hammering on my keyboard, then at the end of the day, I feel like I'm unproductive. With Scala, I had to sort of make the mental shift that, I stare at the screen a lot more and I don't type as much. Mm. And it's like, I, I think about the code a whole hell of a lot more as I go from line to line to line. But once I write it and I have a spec around it, typically that code doesn't really break. So it's, it's more of like I had yeah. to make this mental shift of I'm thinking more and I'm typing less. And at yeah. first I felt like I'm not being productive, but it turns out I, I was. It was just a different kind of productivity
0: that I had to get used to. I still need to understand. Yeah. Adjust and so are you using, yeah. So are you using a, like a test driven development or yeah. are you, yeah. So, so you, and you're actually writing the tests first or are you starting and doing some scaffolding and then writing the test or yeah, kind of what, I mean, are you like hardcore about it? No. Or not?
1: I've never, I was never really that hardcore about it. I mean,
0: yeah. I, I, it's really, I, I,
1: I applaud people who are able to do that. I, I've never, I was never wired like that. I sort of am kind of like a back and forth. So I won't write all my code and then write all my tests or all my tests and then all my code. I, I sort of do, yeah. like I'll write some code and i like, I think this is going to work and then I write a spec. I'm like, okay, cool, it works. And I write some more code. I think this is going to work and then I write a spec. And that kind of, I think that back and forth, it just works well for me. And most of the folks on our team uh, kind of operate that way. There's one or two others who kind of write all their code and then write all their specs. But I don't, I'm not really a zealot about like that. It's whatever you need to do to get your work done and feel productive.
2: Yeah, that's that's how I look at things too. Um, you know, I, I just I just can't. You know, it's it's really hard to write a test or whatever. You don't have type completion and all these things. If you don't have a code, uh, obviously, if you have some interfaces or whatnot, it's a little easier. And if you're fixing a bug, it's a lot easier to write the test first. But yeah. I think you know, all, all in on the, the the writing test first is a little difficult. It's it's just I I don't know. I it's just I feel like if you do that, like you really have to know.
1: You have to, I don't know. I just have never been in, in like, a a mental state that I'm like, I know everything that I need to do, so I'm going to write all my specs. Like, I I kind of, as I'm building product out, I'm sort of, I mean, if I'm being honest, I'm kind of figuring it out on the fly. (laughs) So, it just makes more sense to bounce back and forth.
0: Yeah, and I found that if you tried to write a ton of specs and then come back and start making them pass, like, it's... it's almost counterproductive because yeah. you've got all this failure, 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 right for a long time. Yeah, so, kind of going I back don't like and forth fail between
1: out of the gate that much. Yeah,
0: right. It's like, but and just in general, like you need green lights it's yeah. just to keep you motivated, right? Yeah, you, yeah, you need absolutely. the build to pass, you know, absolutely, and, and the tests it, to pass.
2: So, in, in, incremental success is way better than a whole lot of it's, failure. It's just, <laughs> I mean, I don't know. It's just mental happiness, right? It's like, okay, I've made
1: some things work today and some things are still broken. So you just, it's enough for me to come back tomorrow and keep doing it.
0: Yeah. And so, um, that, that kind of segues into, you know, talking about your, your, your development process. Uh, What is it like as far as, um, any kind of automated pipeline, CI, CD type of, uh, you know, do you have Jenkins? Mm -hmm. Tell me a little bit about that.
1: Yeah. So, uh, I can't believe I'm going to say this out loud to you guys, but uh, when Jim and I first started, so I've, i in a lot of the startups I've been a part of for the last few years, um, you know, we sort of, the, the product teams always assume both the product development and the DevOps side of things. Um, yeah. You know, when we started rebuilding some of this infrastructure at Blackfin, Jim and I looked at each other, we're like, I kind of hate DevOps. I, I don't want to have to do DevOps. <laughs> so we're mm-hmm. like, we're going to automate as much as we can. So um, with the exception of our pipeline, which is uh, man, it's still deployed through CI, but that's all in Kubernetes. Everything else in our platform, all is deployed out of uh, Jenkins CI. So the, the way we have it set up right now, it's actually I, I'm I'm pretty pleased with where we where we have things currently. So um, on the API side, uh, you know, we sort of have our, our master branch and our, our our main development spine, and as we merge branches into that development spine, Uh, CI picks up, uh, builds that, the the lore asset, chucks it onto S3, and then we're using Beanstalk to kind of just roll it out automatically to a development environment, which is great. So it's constantly just updating itself, which is really nice. Nice. Um, And then on the, when it comes time to roll it out to, to our prod environment, it's the same sort of process. You know, when we merge into master, Beamstalk just does its thing and, and away it goes. Um, so that works great for our API. Um, we do something similar for uh, our web app. Um, this is kind of neat. So uh, this is the first time I've ever been able to do this. So our web app is entirely JavaScript. So it's basically just a, you know, a, a wrapper around our API, and we call into our API. But nice. uh, the way we deploy that is it's entirely hosted off of Amazon CDN. So Amazon CDN allows Hi. you to sort of host, you know, give it like a, like an index.html, if you could sort of point it to an index html it kind of behaves like a web server which is great so we don't have an ec2 instance behind our, our web app it's just an amazon cdn yeah which is really
0: neat and so does do the the static files go to s3 first and then the cdn is yeah. is hosting yeah, it or exactly. okay
1: and then uh, so really to deploy deploy our web app uh honestly we fire up cloudfront and i just invalidate the cache i, I press a button and then it it's deployed uh, it's kind of funny. So that's the, it takes it takes us. To, it's the longest thing to deploy is our web app because it takes twenty minutes for CloudFront to to clear.
0: Uh, <laughs> oh, but, interesting. You know,
1: yeah. It's so so that's how we have it in the web app, and then the the pipeline is Kubernetes, which is still a little rough around the edges in terms of uh, the DevOps stuff we have there, but it's getting better over time.
0: Yeah, it'd be interesting. so uh, tell me a little bit more about that cuz I, I it's not clear in my head about where Kubernetes fits in here um, yeah, for, so, for the pieces so there's that you've like, described
1: so far. The, yeah that's the one piece i haven't talked about so there's our middleware and there's our web app and then there's you know the process of getting data into our platform and running some of these analyses on this data so all of that is contained inside of Kubernetes there's so if you you can imagine you have this you know let's say you have a couple terabytes of data up um and you want to run some a workflow on that or you know an algorithm or a suite of algorithms on that data. So the way we are building this is that um, you know in the science world you might have an, a, an algorithm that you've built and it relies on some you know obscure python libraries or some matlab stuff, right? So like hmm. it's there, there's it's impossible like there's there's so many dependencies in that environment for you to do your work as a researcher. So what we do is we're creating an interface to allow researchers to effectively uh, you know, construct a workflow out of Docker images. And, uh, you can say, here's the input to, you know, a, a container and, you know, here's the output to a container. And we allow people to sort of spin these things up and down arbitrarily inside of a, a data pipeline that we have. And we're doing that all with Docker and Kubernetes. Uh, this is the first time I've ever really used Kubernetes. Um, yeah, it's,
0: how, how do you like it so far?
1: Uh, it's a little challenging. Um, you know, that's not one of the guys on our team isn't really focused on it, so I only know it from afar. Mm-hmm. Um, I found that it, it at first was really tough for me. I think part of it is because when I was doing DevOps stuff, I'm so used to like having so much control <laughs> over stuff, and what I right. learned with Kubernetes is like y- you just sort of have to like nope. let <gasps> let go a little bit, and it's like just assume Kubernetes yeah. is going to do its thing,
0: Um right. Right, it's a you have a pool of resources, I'll take care of the scheduling.
1: Yeah, so that's been a little bit challenging for me. And frankly, once we got it working, it's great. But the part that's been most difficult is actually just uh, coming up with a nice sort of way to run our pipeline locally and, like, you know, in Kubernetes when it's deployed. So, like, we're trying to use Minikube, which is great. But, you know, when you factor in Minikube and S3 and storing things locally on your laptop, it's just, you run into these weird <laughs> little hiccups and that's been a little bit challenging yeah um
0: yeah but overall i think and uh what yeah i was gonna ask what what drove you to kubernetes versus uh say like mesos uh
1: i could i don't really have a very fancy answer for that i think at the time it was like yeah you know we picked the path and that's a really good question i'd be curious to hear your thoughts on that i mean we, we never i i don't I think we just Kubernetes just kind of made more sense to us. The, the constructs made more sense yeah. to us, so we just kind of went with it. Um, yep, I would love to hear your thoughts. Yeah, and
0: and it, it yeah. Well, it's it's just interesting. Right now, it seems like um, Kubernetes definitely seems to be the one that is getting the most traction. Um, and uh, but Mesos Mesosphere in particular with their mm-hmm um dcos is yeah. really trying to make sure that they stay relevant um and be a part of it and then docker themselves with uh, docker compose and docker swarm are really yeah. trying to so also kind of there. be in that space of yeah yeah, yeah so you started, started there so and we started there and we, then you know
1: i don't know uh i, th- I think we started there and then it, we started getting into some weird scenarios and the, the kind of dynamicism that we needed in terms of sp- throwing random Docker images in and spinning them up, It just, Docker seemed to be better suited for that, at least in mm-hmm. the kind of work we were doing. So now we're all in on the Docker uh, on the Kubernetes front. So we'll, we'll see where that goes. Yeah. 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 I, I really know it's,
2: interesting. As, as far as adoption, I know. Um, so Google, Google's obviously betting big, right? Like they replaced their whole, um, you know, internal things they are migrating to Kubernetes and then you um, Google has people working on OpenStack integration of Kubernetes mm-hmm. and, and OpenStack as a whole, I know, is uh, is focusing on that. So it's uh, obviously they're not, you know, they want to be a little more agnostic than that, but it's definitely um, the way a lot of these things are going. It's funny. But the only thing that was, and this is probably different if it was on the West Coast, Brian, but like
1: we, there was a, a Kubernetes meetup that surfaced in Philly. We're like, oh my God, there's other people. So we went to it, and, uh, <laughs> and so we're sitting in this thing, and I'm like, like, guys, I think we're the Kubernetes experts in Philly right now. I'm like, this is a little bit yeah. nerve wracking.
0: <laughs> Interesting. Just yeah. Hearing, like, I, the, the level um, of talk. I, I don't like, have oh, that. Oh, boy. That's wild, yeah. No, I don't have that problem in. uh, in, I'm based in the Bay Area for our listeners, and um, in the San Francisco Bay Area. And yeah, no, there's lots of meetups and lots of people. So that's really interesting. Yeah. So um, I I get out to the Bay Area
1: every once in a while. I think next time I go out there, I'm like, I need. I'm going to try to time it with something I could go on the Kubernetes front.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and and there's a lot of good ones. Um, yeah, I mean, you can go on meetup.com and and just take a look at what's there, but, um, you know, the, the SV, uh, the Silicon Valley DevOps one is a, a meetup that I've gone to several times now. Um, and, uh, great speakers and great info. Um, so I would definitely recommend if there's something when you, next time you're in town and if there's uh, they have a meetup, definitely check them out.
1: Sure. After you give me a tour.
0: <laughs> yes, of course,
1: <laughs> of course. Uh,
2: so, yes, yeah, so I mean, um, but that's, that's
1: just going back to our stack. I mean, that's that's the extent of it. And then as far as our team goes and, and deployment, I mean, we, we've gotten things down to everything kind of auto, you know, takes care of itself with the exception of our pipeline and that Kubernetes piece, uh, which has been great. So, uh, you know, we really have it down to minimal DevOps right now. So, you know, we're a really small team. So when we do encounter... A, 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 an infrastructure task that requires a bit of DevOps kind of work and automating some of that stuff, mm. you know, it, it slows us down. Um, but we're, 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 we're moving pretty quickly, which is good.
0: Yeah. But I, I love that concept of what you're doing by basically allowing your partners the or clients, I'm not sure how you're referring to them, um, but you're allowing them to just be like, you, you get a whole, uh, you know, OS, but, we're using Docker as a sandbox to allow them, you know, and and then basically you're just saying you're defining the input and the output, you know, um, that's that's awesome. I think that's yeah, such a me. cool way to to be able to interact. Uh,
1: it's so far it's 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 working out. I mean, it's it's a fair bit of engineering to get it to work, um, and there's definitely some hurdles we'll still need to to navigate. But uh, so far it's 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 working out pretty good.
2: So, so really, though, I mean, the, the interesting part of this whole thing, which I still can't get over, is, is this dog. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's crazy. I mean, that's the part I, I you know, I, I,
1: I love building products. Like, I, I love it. I, I'm, I'm going to do it until they, they kick me out and say I can't do it anymore. And what I really enjoy, you know, my, my background is software engineering. And, and I actually pursued graduate work in an in a area called bioinformatics, which is if you took molecular biology, computer science, and math and slammed them all together falls out of that is bioinformatics so i i really really love taking like engineering practices and, and and just software development and taking that stuff and throwing it at like healthcare and the life sciences and I've like half of my career has been in that world so i just find it really rewarding and yeah it's some of it's kind of weird like this whole dog data thing still blows my mind uh and you know every once in a while there'll be a statement made at work where i'm just like i can't believe i just heard that like two weeks ago one of the guys was like uh I think the question was like, oh, well, how much data do you have? And the statement, the response literally was, I have about 20 brains worth of data. And I'm like, I, I can't believe that was a legitimate sentence that I heard. One, two, that's a completely <laughs> accurate response. I'm like, okay. You know, it's just, it's just, it's just awesome. It, it is kind of awesome. I mean, it's so nerdy, but I kind of love it.
0: <laughs> awesome. Well, you know, I, I think that brings us to the end of our show. Um, I uh, want to thank Chris uh, for joining us in our uh, little experiment here. Um, Chris, uh, where could all our listeners find out more about you and what you're working on?
1: Sure. So uh, we're young, uh, so we're going through a lot of rebranding and, and whatnot. But uh, you can keep an eye on us at blackfin.com, B-L-A-C-K-F-Y-N-N. Uh, and uh, yeah, you know we're going to be a lot more public with with the work that we're doing. Uh, you know, so if, if you're interested, you could find us at blackman.com on Twitter, and uh, you know my handle on Twitter is, is Chris Baglieri, all one word. So I'm pretty vocal. Uh, happy to talk about this
2: stuff.
0: Awesome. Well, thanks, and uh, Brian, where can people find you? All
2: right, so I'm also on Twitter, Brian Demers, all one word. Um, I'm B Demers, like everywhere else. Um, so yeah. So I'm not probably as vocal on Twitter, but for you, starting there is a good point.
0: Yeah, and uh, I can be found on Twitter as well. I think it's the best way to um, reach me. I'm uh, at Jack and J-A-X-Z-I-N. Sounds like my last name, but spelled differently. Um, and uh, But before we go, uh, let's leave our listeners with something to do. And so, uh, this is where each week we'll leave you, the listener, with, uh, something to watch, read, play, or try out, uh, you know, in some way, uh, something that's interactive. So, um, Brian, uh, w- did you have something that, uh, you wanted to leave the listeners with?
2: I did. So, um, I've been playing a lot more board games in the past few months, probably six months, um, which is something I hadn't done for, you know, a long time. Um, so, I picked up a copy of Pandemic Legacy. So, Pandemic is this game where it's a cooperative game, um, and you're trying to save the world from disease spread, and you got to control outbreaks, and it's it's very cooperative. I mean, each turn everybody's talking, and, and that's the aspect I like about these types of games is is the communication, how people talk. It's 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 great. Uh, so, anyway, so a Legacy version. Um, I didn't know what a Legacy game was until. Uh, a few weeks ago, but it's basically a game you can play over time where the game changes. So, this game, you literally put stickers on the board, you tear up cards, which for anybody who's super into board games. Really? Yeah. I mean, I, there's this guy. That seems sacrilegious. Yes, who's super into board games. I tried to give him a card last night to have him rip it up. He wouldn't do it. I mean, he just shook his head. Yeah. And I just tore it up in front of his face and threw it on the Whoa. floor. And it's great because you, you can't do that, you know? Um, yeah. So. Obviously, uh, this game itself is you could play it twelve to twenty four times depending if you you know win or lose. Um, so obviously, after it's done, it's garbage basically. But uh, it's really great. Um, I'm three months into it. Um, I've I played it two or three times, but but we've completed three months worth of missions and highly recommend it. Um, but but really, any of these cooperative games um, I've been enjoying. So check out Pandemic Legacy. I'm already ordering that Cool, and right now.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's, that sounds awesome. Um, okay, so uh, mine is, uh, I'm a big fan of Heroku. Um, I think it is an excellent platform as a service. Um, and I think it's the kind of thing that um, there's a lot of kind of in the enterprise, people are copying it and trying to do Heroku you know, in your private cloud. Um, things like uh, Deus or... or um, Flynn uh, are kind of in this space and one of those, and I can't remember which one actually runs on top of uh, Kubernetes. Um, so it's, I think dovetails with kind of what uh, Chris is talking about earlier. And um, so if you're not familiar with Heroku and its style of development, I am encouraging listeners to go try it out. Uh, there are some great tutorials on their site. Um, you know, we'll uh, I'll have a link in the, sh- in the show notes and um and it's great because they've structured it for several different languages. Uh, so, kind of pick a language that you're comfortable with. Um, I'm assuming that there might be one there that uh, you know. Pretty much, I think most of our listeners uh, could pick one and uh, start playing with uh, Heroku. Um, I-, I think it's great. Uh, you know, you basically, uh, if you're familiar with Git, you just Git push up to um, uh, up to Heroku, and right there, it will build your project. It's able to even kind of detect, is it a Java project or a Ruby project uh, or a Scala project and, um, you know, build it properly and, uh, deploy it out to, um, you know, out to their platform. So check that out. Um, so, uh, that wraps up our first episode. Um, be sure to check out our website at, uh, codemonkey.fm and, uh, email us at feedback at FM. Uh, we're looking for kind of topics, things that people are interested in, or just a shout out to say hi. Um, and also if you like the episode, do us a favor and review it on uh, your favorite podcast finder. Um, I know that I'll definitely be posting it on iTunes and Overcast and I'll be searching out, uh, any other places we can post it and you may have already found us there. So please, uh, you know, give us a review. Um, so, uh, thanks for listening and, uh, you know, we'll see you next week.
2: I'm still I literally blown away like you at this, off. this dog thing. I mean, I'm still like, I'm st- ever since <laughs> you, you said no that, like, Honestly, I'm, 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 I'm picturing still like, yes, every time
1: yeah, I have to go in and I'm like, <laughs> it's still like uh, there's moments. And where, is it really
0: streaming live? Like, like there's yes. a dog attached and it's streaming into your infrastructure. Yeah, That's crazy. It's, it's
1: huh? crazy. There's this, it's some of this stuff is insane but you know so in a lot of ways you know all this internet of things stuff in like the consumer world like that's coming in the i mean it's already kind of there in the medical device world but it's it's coming with a fury you know and you have like these i mean you know like you said with health kit i'm like you know that stuff is only going to get more and more and more and you
0: know know, you're talking to somebody hard (laughs) yeah I'm, i'm i'm all about um like quanti- quantified self. Yep. Um, I, I try to collect as much data about myself as possible. Um, I was so sad when, and I've tweeted about this, uh, when the the basis uh, band that they decided to cancel it, or they basically found a problem with the basis peak, and uh, it was exploding on people's hands, and so they <laughs> pulled it I, and I, I canceled the so. service. Right. I didn't. Oh hey, well, yeah, rightfully really so. So oh d- yeah, did, yeah. So they didn't. Oh my god, didn't I know many stuff I think, but I lost a hand. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Seriously? exactly. So yeah, no. So I don't. I don't think. It was, you know, I don't think it was like Wait. dynamite level explosion, but like you know, like um, you know, Galaxy Note uh, level of like it start. You know, it would burst into flames on your wrist uh, apparently, oh. and so yeah. So they canceled. They basically did a full recall, and the interesting thing is they recalled. The old ones as well, like they had two models and even though the first model was fine, they recalled it because I think basically they didn't want to support the service anymore. So because it was it's one of those Internet of Things devices where once they shut down the service, it doesn't work anymore and it's completely useless. And so they were like, do we just support the old model that's like two, three years old at this point? Or do we I, just shut down the service? I think they just I shut down the service. I have a Chumby that I look so, at in a
2: box every oh once God, in a while. Oh, my God, I remember Chumby. I, yeah. Chumby. Yeah. I, st- I still yeah. have it. I'm like, oh, I could I could do something with this someday. And I'm like, no, it's it's, it's, it's worth nothing now, it's right? Cr- it's got a little... Cr- little... Cr- it is nuts. Like, it, you know, one of the
1: guys at work who comes from the medical device world, he said something a month ago, which still has stuck with me. He's like, you know, the next medical device company that that, that really, like, makes an impact is not going to be a hardware company. It's going to be a software company. He's like... The, the, the hardware mm-hmm. side is just commoditized. And he's absolutely – I mean, that's – it's happened on the consumer side, right? It's like, I mean, hardware is – I mean, it is quite commoditized, you know? And it's still coming along, but you can sort of see – I can understand yeah. what he's saying, which is pretty radical. It's a pretty radical
0: thing. That's really interesting, yeah. I mean, because it is, something that I have is the the Wything's um, blood pressure cuff. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting to see how – um I don't know if it's the FDA or um, some other, you know, medical. Mm -hmm. um, But there's – in the software that they've written, they've had to add in barriers, like user experience barriers, I think because of legal obligations. Mm -hmm. So, for instance, you go to take your blood pressure, and if you want it to take it three times, which is what they recommend, you know, three times every 90 – you know, with 90-second breaks in between – you have to like, you can't just turn that on as like, yeah, do that every single time because they're legally on, you know, limited to, to making that happen. So it's very interesting that even though f- like from the hardware perspective, you're saying it co- it's commoditized. I th- it feels almost still though, that like there's a lot of legal barriers, right? Oh, there's so many If you many really wanted to like do a brain implant, right? So it's talking about that, the dog <laughs> implant, right? I know there's, and right? that's why it's a dog it's, and not it's, a
1: human for, for the record. But yeah, there's yeah, so right? many barriers. I mean, it's, it's kind of like the, uh, you know, it's the, like the self-driving car thing. It's like the tech is really hard. Once they get it figured out, it's like, okay, what is, like, how long is that going to really take to, 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 like, get out there and really permeate all roads? Are they going to have to have, like, HOV yeah. lanes that are just self-driving cars just so it can get out there more? I mean, those barriers exist anywhere, and, if, you know, arguably in the medical world, they're probably substantially higher.
2: Yeah. It's fascinating yeah, well, stuff
1: though. It's, it's still, it's super nerdy and it's, it's just fun. <laughs>
2: yeah. I tell, I tell everyone that, uh, you know, the younger people that I meet that's, you know, if they're interested in computers, I always tell them to take a few biology courses. Cause I it's, mean, that is, that is the next wave. It really or it, is. It like, already is.
1: Today. I mean, healthcare is so like dated. It's, it's, I mean, it's like walking into a time machine. So I agree with you. I think, uh, it, it seems like it, it, you know, on the surface, it's like oh, it's kind of maybe it seems a little uncool. But you know, once <laughs> once building stuff to like help health becomes like cool, <laughs> so to speak, uh, it's you know, it's really it's it's very I don't know, it's very validating work. It just feels good. It Just feels good to build stuff. that's like oh, ultimately, the stuff I'm doing can help detect seizures and help a patient somehow. You know, and that's just really rewarding.